All right, we're continuing in our, our journeying with John series. We've been working verse by verse through the, through the Gospel of John. I hope this series has been a blessing to you. Uh, we have come to one of probably the most well-known chapters of the book of John, um, which is John chapter 11. And uh, John chapter 11 is very, very important uh, because we, we see some really... Um, some very interesting things that take place here. And just like every other chapter, things that are applicable to each and every one of our lives. And so I hope that this will be, um, that this will be a blessing to you as we walk through, this, uh, walk through this together. So let's pray, and then we will go ahead and get into John chapter 11. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and for your son and for sending him down the cross for our sins. Lord, I'm so thankful for our church, God. And, um, and, and what it means to me personally, Lord, I pray that you'd help me um, as I try to uh, be a servant as well, God, that you would help us to move forward and, uh, and to grow the way that you think we need to grow, Father. And so uh, I pray that you would use this uh, the study, Lord, that it would be a blessing to them the way that it was a blessing to me. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. We'll go ahead and dive right into verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister uh, Martha. So we're introing a family, right? Mary, Martha, and, uh, and, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? And we're introing this family, and we're going to see why they get set up here in a second. Verse 2, in parentheses, right? I always tell you, when you read your Bible, pay attention to punctuation. And pay attention to conjunctions, right? Because they tell you a lot. And there was a division. Uh, that's not the right part. Sorry. Verse 2. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Anyone ever heard that song, Alabaster Box? Anyone ever heard that song? Um, that's where that song comes from, right here. Um, this is, they're letting us know which Mary this is. This is the Mary um, that anointed Christ's feet. Uh, with the with the um, the oil from her alabaster box, and you may know the story. Anyone familiar with that? Uh, where they come, and she's got this really expensive perfume-ish ointment kind of thing, and what she does is she pours it out on Jesus' feet, and she washes his feet uh, with it, and she's drying his feet with her hair. And of course, they scold her, right? And they say, "Man, you could have used that to give to the poor." And Christ was like, "Don't." Don't rebuke her. She's giving the most precious things that she has um, over to me. You probably could learn a thing or two. So it's that same family. All right. Uh, what we find out is that uh, Jesus was close to this family. Of course, this is not the first time in Scripture where uh, he has spent there's time being spent with their family. So they're letting us know um, again. And you can even look at the language where it says, of course, that a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. So it kind of talks to us like we already know who they are. You know what I'm saying? So just something to keep in mind. Verse 3. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So the sisters send for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. We already know that you're Jesus. We know that you're the Christ. We know that you can heal him. Please come. Please come and take care of him. And I like that they said here, um, whom thou lovest is sick. They play on, uh, on his emotions a little bit. They said, hey, it's not just some guy, man. This is Lazarus. This is someone that you love dearly. Will you please come and, um, you know, make haste? Verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, 
but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. If you underline or circle whatever you do, this is one of those verses. Every week we have kind of one of those, right? This is, this is that verse today. It's very important. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So there's kind of um, ulterior motives that's going on. He says, um, he's sick, but it's temporary. He's sick, uh, but it's temporary. And his, his sickness won't be unto his death. It's just so that God can, can get glory from it. That's all that's going on. So he's kind of uh, saying this to his disciples. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So again, he's letting us know that this isn't even just some family, right? And even if it was just some family, we've seen 11 chapters in that Jesus is good at helping strangers as much as he is about helping the people that's close to him. So that doesn't even matter because Jesus is no respecter of persons, right? Uh, But they keep letting us know that this is a family who is dear uh, to his heart. Uh, Let me remind you that that talks about the the humanity of Christ, right? The emotions. He's human. And humans um, have people that they love, right? And so that's kind of what's going on here. Verse 6. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he saith to his disciples, let us go unto Judea again. And so he says, okay, I heard this. Now, you hear that someone's sick. Or someone was in an accident or something happens. The first thing you want to do is you want to get to them as quick as you can. You find out that something's in the... Uh, I know for me, I find out someone's in the hospital. I'm doing my best to go see them as soon as I can. Right? You want to just run to them. Uh, but what the Bible says is that uh, he waited a couple of days. And remember, these aren't even just a couple of just strangers. Amen, baby. Right? These aren't even just a couple of strangers. This, this is the family that he is close to. And so they said when he heard this, he just, he stayed a couple days. And then after a couple days, he said, all right, let us, let's go. Verse 8. His disciples said un, say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? So Judea was one of the places that ran Christ out, right? He's been having a lot of that lately. He ran Christ out. And um, they ran Christ out. So they're like, man, Jesus, the last time we went to Judea, they tried to kill you, sir. Um, Why are we going there again? Verse 9. Jesus answered, Are they not 12 hours? Are there not 12 hours in a day? If any man walk not, uh, walk in the day. Let me try that again because I cannot read. All right, let's try again. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth. Because there is no light in him. So I like what he's saying here because who do we know is the light of the world? We found that out in chapter 1, right? He's a light in the life, right? We found that out in chapter 1. And so he's saying here, um, there's 12 hours in the day, right? You get 12 hours of daylight. And if that's the case, um, then he who walks in the daytime is not going to stumble because they can see the light of the world. But it's when you walk in darkness, that you stumble. So we know that he's the light of the world and that a man will not stumble when they see him and they, uh, they stumble when they don't. But this lets us know at the same time, church, remember that the Bible exists in levels, right? You can't just look at it and read the superficial stuff. You've got to see what it's trying to say to you. What we find out is that one of the first times we're seeing so far where Jesus Christ is walking into the danger. 
You know what I'm saying? Usually he's dwelling there and they come, right? Usually he's doing his thing and they want to run him out or they want to try to stone him. But this time he's going back to one of the places that tried to take his life. And why? Remember when they kept saying when Jesus Christ was trying to uh, witness to his brothers working in his, working in his own city and they ran him out? Why don't you go to Jerusalem, right? And what he say to them? My time's not yet come, Right? So now he's at a place where he's like where he's performing the will of God in God's timing. He's going uh, when he's ready. Verse 11. These things said he after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him um, out of his sleep. Verse 12. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. So they're kind of like, God, why? Jesus, why are we going? If he's just sleeping, he'll be fine. But we know that they are good at doing what, church? Missing it. Missing the point. 13. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of, talk, uh, had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. So they missed it. Verse 14. Then Jesus said, uh, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I kind of, I really feel like Jesus had to be an eye roller. He had to be. He had to be. Because, and again, that's why I'm glad I'm not God. Because I would have been like, like 19 times a day. Because I'm like, you guys just don't get it. How long have y'all been with me and you still don't get it? So I'm glad I'm not God. Amen. He said plainly, Lazarus is dead, y'all. He's dead. He's dead. You missed it. I tried to, I tried to give you a little analogy going on here, but you, you missed it. He's dead. Forget it. Forget it. I tried. Forget it. <sighs> right? Verse 15. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Uh-oh, what? I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there when he died. And y'all like, what? Or that he's sick. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. So he's like, I'm glad I wasn't there when he was sick. And I'm glad I'm there, but who does he say for? For your sakes. Remember that Jesus was so good at not only instructing, but following his instructions up with a what? A lesson or a test. Right? A time to apply it. A time for application. Verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What a rash statement to make. And let me ask you, how many of y'all love me like that? Find out that I'm dying. Let's go die with pastor. Please, that's real Charles Manson-y. Like, don't do that. That's weird, right? Um, but that's where we'll stop there for today. All right? But of course, uh, with every single passage that we look at, we've got some takeaways, right? Number one, y'all ready? Sometimes you go through it just so God can be glorified. Sometimes you go through it just so God can be glorified. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I feel like every time I get in my Bible, I see stuff like this, and it reminds me of Job. And Job is such a fantastic and powerful example to let us know that we do not know all the details. We do not know all that's going on. We do not know what God has planned or what God is planning to allow. We only get to a wall and only see brick or concrete, right? But Jesus sees all past the wall and all the way into our future. God sees it all. He sees it all. And sometimes, we, as we see, it happens in Scripture because 
Job was thinking, I've lost my house, my kids, my wealth, my health, all that other stuff. My life is just falling apart. And all of his friends go, well, you must have done something wrong. Go and repent. And while God is up in heaven like Lucifer, go ahead, or sorry, Satan, go ahead and have free reign with him. Just don't take his life. Church, there really is a spiritual battle going on. There's all kinds of spiritual things that are going on. And sometimes we say, um, like I have a friend right now that I'm talking with, and she is, she is just swearing up and down that the reason why her life is this way is because God is just punishing her. And because of the mistakes that she's made, she's going to spend the rest of her life dealing with these things. And I said, I'm not sure God operates that way. I'm not sure that God just operates with, a, with a, a, a lightning bolt like Zeus and just strikes you down as soon as you uh, mess up. Of course, there's consequences to your actions, sure. But sometimes, church, we go through storms. There are periods in our life where you will go through storms and you may not. We've been talking about this on Sunday. You may not know on this side of heaven what, why you're going through that. You may not know what's going on, but I don't know about you, but there are many times where I've gone through stuff. And I remember being a teenager and just crying my eyes out because this is happening or I'm going through that and then becoming an adult and being able to help people with those very same things. Those very same things. Every time you go through a storm or a trial in your life, that is another piece of armor in your, in your, in your or another piece of weaponry in your sheath. That is another sword that you get because you may not know how to be able to, uh, to help. You may be able to help people with stuff that you may not know that that's what's going to happen. And that may say, well, I don't care about what's going on with them. I have my own issues going on, right? But I don't know about you guys, but there have been times where that has happened to me a bunch. Growing up without a, growing up with, uh, without a dad. And growing up in poverty and, and being mad that I didn't have all the things that the other kids had and, and going to jail and all this other stuff going on in my life. And there are many nights where I said, God, why am I going through this? Until I was 23 years old and I went to Pensacola Christian College and I went to the juvenile detention center on Christian service. And for the first time, it made sense. Because these kids who would not listen to anyone else was able to listen to me because in some ways I was able to relate. Could it ever, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason why God puts you through the fire is to help reach in the fire for someone else? Sometimes stuff happens because God wants the glory from your life. And God will get the glory from you on the mountaintops just as much as he will get the glory from your life in the valley if you let him. If you let him. And that's why I'm trying to help you to, to develop a fireproof mentality. That's like, hey, I'm in the fire right now and I'm getting burned. I'm getting burned. I'm getting burned. And instead of saying that, saying, well, I'm in here to be purified. And once God is done purifying me, I'll be fashioned into what he wanted me to be. Into what he wanted me to be. I don't know about you guys, but I, I know that looking back, I've come a long way. And I wish I could say a lot of those things were because I was this great person and I was the next Apostle Paul. And No, it was a series of storms that brings, that brings you forward. That brings you forward. Sometimes you go through it just so God can get the glory. And if you can get that in your mindset, you start thinking instead of saying, God, remove this storm from me. You start saying, Lord, help me to endure. Help me to endure. There's a lesson in here. Every storm, church, every storm has a lesson. Amen. Every storm has a lesson. And so if you're in this room right now or listening via podcast later, you have to remember that if you're someone that's right going through it and you're like, I don't know what's going on or why this is happening to me, 
don't fret. Because there is something for you in this season. You have to find out what it is. Because here's the truth. Your storm won't pass until you do. There has never been a time in my life where I went through it and didn't get something from it. Or you can get angry from it and miss the lesson completely. But it's there for you to be able to learn and grow. Lazarus died and the purpose was to get glory. He was going ahead and saying, I mean, they sent the messenger. The messenger is gone and he's telling the disciples like, y'all, listen to me. He's not dead. He's just asleep. And we're going to go wake him up. But on the other side of the problem, his sisters are freaking out. Like Lazarus is going to be, Lazarus is sick. And if Jesus doesn't get here soon, he's going to pass. And so what does Jesus do? He waits a couple days. Let him pass. And sometimes God allows those deaths to pass just so he can show up and show you what it is that he's trying to do. Amen? Amen. Number two, don't forget that God bless you. Don't forget that God loves you. Do not forget that God loves you. Twice in this passage so far in these 16 verses twice has it mentioned Lazarus whom thou lovest and that he loved Mary, Martha and and Lazarus it was letting us know that why because the the first thing that happens with us as human is what God doesn't love me anymore I don't know I've heard that I've heard people say well God doesn't love me anymore or God has given up on me or God doesn't have his favor on me anymore and that could not be any farther from the truth we have to remember that God loves us I mean very, very uh, basic, but God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. How much more can you love someone than to give your life for them? You got to remember when you're going through it, y'all. Remember this? Don't let storms make you stupid. Because what storms do is they try to get you to forget that the sun is existing. Did you know it? Anyone ever been on a plane before? Anyone ever been on a plane before? Where you're, where you're flying above the clouds? Anyone ever been in that? And you're like, you're there, and I mean, it hasn't happened a lot of times for me, but there are a couple of times where it did, and I'm flying, and for some reason, we're above the clouds, and it's just gorgeous, and it's sunny, and it's, you, it's like you're in the middle of the blue, and you're just seeing a, a, a bed of clouds, and it's really pretty. But what the storms do is the storms block the sun and make us think, well, the sun's not out today. Yes, it is. It's just being blocked by the, by the clouds. And what you have to be careful of is that you don't think the sun stops existing because the clouds are blocking your vision. And the first thing we do is doubt God's love for us. I mean, it's the same archaic stuff that happened to Adam and Eve. We start doubting God and he's holding out on us and that he doesn't, he doesn't care for us as, 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 as much as, we, as he, we thought he was supposed to. But here's the truth. Sometimes there are lessons a parent will have to just let a child learn. Listen to me. I was a hard-headed kid growing up. And I got my hand smoked a lot. Back of that barn was painted red. Y'all know all the stories already. But sometimes, right, Miss Angelica? You just got to let them just, all right, go ahead. And let them learn the lesson. Some lessons can only be learned through hardship. But does, that does not mean that God no longer loves you. That's not what that means at all. 
Number one, sometimes you go through it just so God can be glorified. Number two, don't forget that God loves you. Number three, when God is ready to work, no threat is viable. When God is ready to work, no threat is viable. Through 11 chapters, we see Jesus Christ slipping through the crowd because they're trying to stone him. We see the Pharisees trying to, uh, to line up guards to go and take him and take his life. And we've seen over and over again, whenever it was time, he was either not going to where that was happening or he was leaving it. Now we see him going right head on with the people who are trying to take his life. And why did that happen? Because it was time for God's work to be done. I saw someone say this the other week on Twitter. They said, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, a lot of the weapons that formed against me have prospered. A lot of the weapons that have formed against me has prospered. And I sat back and I was like, why did they prosper? Why, 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 why did that happen? See, we got to remember that when God is, when you're right where God wants you to be, you are virtually untouchable. Do you realize that? I'm not saying you won't go through stuff or that you won't have uh, hardships in your life, but in the center of God's will for your life. Remember what the Bible says? You are, you are uh, tempted when you are drawn out of your, by your own lust and enticed. The key to victorious Christian living is staying as close to the light as possible, right? We walk in the light because he is in the light. And when you stay in the light, you are safe. But I want to remind you of this is when God is ready to work in your life. Remember that God has only two speeds, right? Standing still and doing nothing, right? God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, why is this still happening to me? And then the other side of it is like, oh my gosh, God, slow down. I can't keep up, Right? When God is ready to work, that's why I love that verse, be still and know that I am God, right? Be still and let God move. Because when God is ready to show up, when Jesus Christ was ready to show up, even though, it was, even though he's on the, on the quest to his cross, he was ready to show, he was ready to show up and nothing was going to stop it. He had a mission that he was doing. Remember what he said? He said, I'm, I'm glad that Lazarus passed for your sakes. Why? Because God was getting ready to be glorified from the situation. Let me ask you, has God been getting glory from your situation? How have you been handling your storm? How have you been handling the giants or the waves or the Jews that seek your life? How have you been dealing with those who seek to stone you? How are you doing with those things. When, but, because when God is ready to work, there's no threat viable. Listen to me. God's hand is on Orlando Baptist Temple. Regardless of what you think or not. And you know why? Because you may not see it. Because Sundays and Wednesdays and whatever other days that we're up here. But being down here in the nitty gritty and watching stuff happen. Like the van window getting busted out. Right? Or blocks having, happening down at Orange County zoning. Or, you know emergencies that happen financially and all that other stuff and people that give us a hard time all those things are just weapons trying to form and they will form they will but if they whether they prosper or not is more dependent on you than you think because I know this when God is ready to show up the devil and his forces are also 
You don't think Christ was prepared for that? That he wasn't prepared? You think why he was going? They said he, they sought your life last time you were there. Why on earth would you go back? He said, man, when I'm walking in the, in the light, my foot won't stumble. Church, when you are walking in the light, your foot will not stumble. When you're in the light, you are in the safest place possible. You got to learn to trust God a little bit more. Because when he's showing up, you got to depend on him and rely on him and allow him to lead you. Number four. We find in this passage a friendly reminder that we will all rise. That we will all rise. As Christ is making his way to Lazarus to, to raise him up, we find out that the grave is not our final place. If you die before the rapture, you'll rise. If you're alive when the rapture happens, you'll rise. But this foreshadows the power of God. This foreshadows that, uh, that Christ would raise Lazarus and then God would raise Jesus and then God will raise us. It's a, foresh- it's a foreshadowing. It's a friendly reminder that we will all rise. And then f- number five and lastly. We said number one, sometimes you go through it just so God can be glorified. Number two, don't forget that God loves you. Number three, when God is ready to work, no threat is viable. Number four, we, ha- we get a friendly reminder that we will all rise. And number five, sometimes God tarries on purpose. Sometimes God tarries on purpose. That does not mean he has deserted you. Sometimes God tarries on purpose. That does not mean he has deserted you. If you read the Psalms, you see David praying like that a lot. Lord, my enemies are encompassed about me. They seek my life to slay me. How long will they allow those who imagine mischief against you? He says all this stuff. How long will you allow this to happen? How long will you allow this to happen? Why have you turned your face from me? Why, why am I alone? Long, Lord, I long for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Right? He, he's, he longs for God and he even panics at the, at the smallest inclination that God is distant from him. He panics from it. But church, sometimes God tarries on purpose. Remember that God does not operate on time. We are bound by time, right? We're bound by it, but God has created time. He is not bound by it at all. So what we see is, oh my gosh, time is almost up. God is like, I got time. I got plenty of it. Imagine this, because we have finite minds, so it's hard to grasp infinite concepts. But in one iota of a second, God has an eternity of time. Time is irrelevant to God. And so sometimes we're like, man, God, where are you at? Right where he should be. Right, when he, right where he should be. Because if you're anything like me, there has been times when you got a phone call and it changed everything. It was that one meeting with your boss or, or that one, you know what I'm saying? Just stuff happens. It's, it's weird. I remember when we were planning for our wedding and, you know, wedding prep is tough, right? Especially on the financial aspect of it. And I remember us looking at the budget for our wedding and we're like, man, trying to figure out how we're going to get all the money for everything. And we get a check in the mail from the insurance company, right? And it's for like 600 bucks. And they're like, oh, last January, you overpaid, so we got to give this back to you. Like, what? We're talking about almost two years? 
And that's how that, you, that doesn't shock me though. Because God can use anything, anyone to get his plan across. And what you may think is God, you're running out of time. Is the very same way that God acts and works and, and provides. On the other side of, of the spectrum, you have King Saul, right? Who attacked that Philistine garrison. You remember that story? And he said, I'm going to, well, of course, the, the garrison was going to retaliate. And so he says, Samuel, come. You know, he sends word for Samuel. Hey, you got to perform the sacrifice to God so that we can win this battle. Right? And so uh, Samuel's waiting and he's pacing. And he's pacing. And he's waiting for Samuel to come. And Samuel's taking a long time. And he's like, man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so what happens? He ends up performing the sacrifice himself. Right? Which was an absolute no-no. And guess what happened? Right after he performed the sacrifice, what happened? Who knows? Samuel came. Right after he performed the sacrifice, Samuel came. You got to learn to write. You got to learn to wait on God. He will tarry on purpose. Number one, to test your faithfulness. Number two, so he can get glory from your life like we see here. But number three, to see if you trust him enough for him to wait for the last minute. Do you trust him? I know time's running out. I know you're short. I know you're trying to just get get, get it done already, but we got to learn to wait on the Lord. We got to learn to wait on the Lord. It's right when you think he's not going to, that he does. Y'all know the old statement, God may not always be early, but he's what? He's always on time. He's always on time. And we have to make sure that we're in a place where we don't act like Saul did, where we, where we, where we act rash and, 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 and allow ourselves to just get panicky and just act by ourselves and said, let God do what God does. Sometimes we feel abandoned, but sometimes he holds off while we struggle. The same concept happened in Mark 6. You don't believe me? I'll read your Bible. Read your Bible. Where God feeds the 5,000, right? And the disciples see so much where they pack up baskets full of leftovers from, from two fishes and five loaves, right? Or is it five fishes and two loaves? I don't get it mixed up, right? Two fishes and five loaves from a little boy's lunch, right? And ends up having baskets of it. And so they watch God do an amazing thing. So then Jesus Christ says, I want you to go across the sea and I'm going to go up into a mountain to pray. I'll meet you on the other side. And while they're out in the sea, what happens? A a brutal storm comes, right? And it's tearing the ship apart and the waves are going nuts and and they're fearing for their lives. And I I remember reading it in Mark chapter 6 where it says that Jesus from the mountain saw them toiling and rowing in the storm. He saw them. We think that we're abandoned and that no one's there, that God's not listening anymore. And he was watching the entire time to see how you're going to handle it. To see how you're going to handle it. Will you be patient and allow him to work in his timing? Or will you be rash and take matters into your own hands? Because that will blow up in your face, church. Listen to me. Every single time. That will blow up in your face every single time. Never do we see it in scripture where they took matters into their own hands and prospered. And prospered. What about you? What are you going to do for those times when God seems to tarry? When he seems to be taking his sweet time in your dire situation? You don't think that the Alpha and the Omega, the omniscient God, knows that your situation is dire? You don't think he knows? 
He knows. And he knows this is a tough situation uh, for you. He doesn't do it to let us suffer. He does it so, number one, we can learn our lesson from the storm. Church, you got to get in that habit of trying to learn whatever lesson it is from the storm. It's a lesson. It's a chance for you to grow closer to God and for him to be able to, to, be, to, to get glory from your life. And then number two, to be fully dependent on him. There's a lot of Christians around this world that love God. I really believe they do. But are not fully dependent on him. Not fully dependent on him. And trust me, he will give you plenty of opportunities to be fully dependent on him. What are you going to do when he tarries? We said here, number one, that sometimes we go through it just so God can be glorified. Don't worry, baby, I'm almost done. Don't forget that God loves you. When God is ready to work, no threat is viable. Number four, we'll all rise. This isn't our final place. And number five, God tarries on purpose. That does not mean he has deserted you. Let's pray.